Hey, I want to start off by telling you something that most people don't know about me. Uh, most people don't know that I have a history of struggling with anxiety. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I have struggled with anxiety and been a, you know, an excessive worrier. I remember as a child, I would chew my fingernails so far down that they would bleed. I would chew on my shirt collars. It drove my parents nuts. Uh, I would chew on my shoe, shirt collars and get little teeth marks in them and they would fray and then they'd have to, oh, we have to keep buying new t-shirts all the time. Uh, couldn't pass them on to my younger brother. I, I remember in school, school was a, a major trigger of anxiety for me. I was what you would call a kind of typical kid who was a perfectionist. Um, I remember learning cursive writing. I don't know if they still teach that in school anymore. I don't know that they do it as much. But I remember learning cursive writing as a young boy, and I, I needed every letter to be perfect. Not because my teacher said it needed to be perfect, but because I felt like it needed to be perfect. And so if it didn't look perfect to me, I would erase it the whole line and do it again. And I would erase it and do it again and erase it and do it again. I would do it five, seven, ten times until my eraser ripped through the paper and I'd get a new worksheet or whatever. And then, if my, then my anxiety was really kicking in, you know, because all the other kids were done and I'm like starting over again. I remember in third grade, very specifically, we took a, I took a science test on volcanoes and earthquakes and I got the terms all mixed around and I didn't do very well on the test. And that nine weeks, I got my grade card and I opened it up and it said B in science. And I thought my life was over. Like I... I, I laugh about it now, but in the moment, I really did. I mean, panic set in. I remember very specifically sitting in my dad's Ford pickup truck and just crying and sobbing and not being able to catch my breath. I thought my academic dreams were over. In fifth grade, I remember I had done a homework assignment. Teacher asked us to all pass it in, and I couldn't find mine. And all of a sudden, I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden, I couldn't control any of my emotions. I couldn't, like, just all this anxiety, this panic set in. And I had to go out. The teacher had to take me out in the hallway. And in a ball, curled up on the floor, I had to push through this panic attack and move through this panic attack or calm down. And I remember going home that day, that specifically that day, and being a fifth grader, you know, I realized, like, this was not typical. Like, I didn't see all my other friends you know, you know, having a panic attack about not having a homework assignment or, you know, you know not passing, getting a B in science class. You know, most of my friends were like, yes, a B, right? I knew this wasn't typical. And I remember saying to my parents, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And, and, and I knew that this wasn't what life was supposed to be. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. And the truth is uh, that, that it wasn't how it was supposed to go. That this, but, but, but the truth is, is that over time, I'm sorry, I, have, I didn't really learn how to deal with my anxiety. I just learned how to hide it. I learned how to hide it from everybody else, from my friends and things as I grew up. And instead of actually like learning real strategies to deal with it, I, I would um, just worry more. I would just study harder. I would just think of every possible what-if scenario. I would stay up late and, 
you know, in the middle of the night, wake up wondering and having trouble sleeping. And, and I did, I do remember the guidance counselor would, would pull me out of class in school, take me into her office and work on with me different strategies, uh, coping strategies to help me when that kind of panic and anxiety would set in. And some of them were really helpful and some of them weren't. <laughs> Uh, the strategy of biting the inside of my cheek did not help. I wouldn't recommend it because I was anxious about a test and now all of a sudden I taste blood in my mouth and then now I'm anxious about both things, right? That, that, that wasn't helpful. But, but I know uh, that some of you in this room can relate to my story. Maybe somewhat less to a lesser degree, maybe some of you to a greater degree because Anxiety is an issue that we see hugely affecting our society. Statistically speaking, it's, it's probably no surprise, but anxiety disorders are one of the most common mental illness disorders that exists in the United States. Over 40 million people, that's one in five adults. One in five adults are affected by an anxiety disorder. The American Psychiatric Association did a study in 2017 and they did the exact same study in 2018, and they found that in just that one year's worth of time, that anxiety had risen 5% in the people they had questioned. Just one year. Imagine if that happened again this year, in 2019, more, another 5%. 2020, another 5%. Right? We have an epidemic of anxiety in our culture. And, and over time, high, high levels of worry and anxiety, if, if they're not addressed, they can have major physical side effects in very negative ways. Um, ulcers, for example, high blood pressure, insomnia, weakened immune system, migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, backaches, chronic fatigue, acid reflux, panic attacks. That's just a couple. And if you're not panicked or anxious before, you probably are now, right? These things, I don't want to get those things. I find it interesting that... Um, most of our worries aren't even over legitimate or critical things. One study I read found that 40% of the things that people worry about never actually happen. They never, never come to pass. Another 30% of things people worry about are events that have actually happened in the past that really are just regrets. That they're spiraling in their mind, worried about, but they can't do anything about to go back and change it. 12% of our worries are about health, possible health problems that rarely occur, but yet we go on WebMD and we think we have the most extreme case every time, right? 10% of our worries are minor miscellaneous things that have no consequence. Like, did I remember to get the eggs at the grocery store? Or did I remember to lock the door before I left? One of the things that I... Uh, wakes me up at night a lot of times is, did I remember to put the garage door down? You know, I will be laying awake in bed trying to remember, did I check the garage door? Was it down? And I'll think, yeah, sure, of course it's down. And, but, that, but it'll still keep going. And I, I think, well, I don't want to get up because it's probably down. And if I get up, then my body's just going to, you know, be awake for the morning. It's going to be harder to go back to sleep. So now I'm worried about getting enough sleep. And 30 minutes goes by, and I'm still worrying. 45 minutes, hour goes by. Fine, I'll just get up and go check it. And it's down every time. <laughs> and I might as well just be up for the day at that point. So if you're doing the math, that's, that's only 8% left. Only 8%, less than one-tenth of the time that we spend worrying, 
or even over legitimate things that we should be concerned about or probably should wrestle with a little bit. Anxiety is clearly an epidemic, and of course many people are trying to figure out what is the cause and why does it seem to be going up in America. Um, some people blame increased social media. Uh, we're always comparing ourselves to others. Some people um, think it might have to do with increased school expectations or increased job expectations. You need to work more hours. You need to have this skill set. You need to do better, higher. We need to you know, be the best of the best. Some have questioned even things like is it exposure to various plastics that we're not, we didn't used to have to be around all the time? And to be honest, I have no idea what the reason is. It's probably a combination of many things. But what I do know is that the issue of worry and anxiety isn't new to humanity. That we've been struggling with worry and anxiety really since the beginning, almost the very beginning of humanity. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they experienced worry, fear, Anxiety, they hid from God in the garden. And we have been dealing with it ever since. And the exact worries that keep us up late at night, they might have slightly new branding, but they're still the same age-old worries. You know, we worry about our kids and what they're exposed to on social media, but we've always worried about our kids. You know, we worry about, do we have the best, newest, most diversified portfolio for our retirement, but we've always worried about money. And we're, you might be in the lunchroom at work and there's a conversation going on where somebody is saying, well, yeah, I, I'm on a vegetarian diet. I don't eat you know, any of that other stuff anymore. And well, I'm on the Atkins diet and I don't eat da-da-da. And I'm on the you know, Mediterranean diet. And, and, and you go home and you think, I don't know what I'm supposed to be on. I guess I'm just going to be on the kale-only diet and I don't even like kale. <laughs> but I don't know what to eat. But we, it's not new to worry about our health. We've always worried about our health. Thankfully, though, thankfully, Jesus has something to say about this. Jesus was not immune from being tempted to worry. He, he lived and, and walked on this earth and had experiences in life that ca- could have caused him to just whoo, go into panic attacks. But it didn't because, because he, he knew how to, how to handle those kinds of situations. You know, Jesus, who didn't have a bed to lay his head down most nights, he, he depended on the benevolence of, of other people to welcome them into his home, to stay the night, to, to feed him meals. He, he was threatened. His life was threatened. You know, most of his ministry until eventually it was taken from him. And yet he has so much wisdom to teach us when it comes to worry and anxiety. We've been doing this series, Redefined, where we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and there's this wonderful part in chapter six of of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about worry, and that's what we're gonna look at today. In Matthew chapter six, 25 through 34, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to there or on your phone, or the verses will be on the screen as well. But I'm just gonna kind of read through the whole, whole chunk here. It says this, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they are? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not spin or labor, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Dr. Winfred Neely, he's a missionary and Christian professor at my, um, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He wrote this short book called How to Overcome Worry. And in that book, he talks about this passage. And he talks about how the Bible doesn't distinguish between levels of worry and anxiety. That there's one, one main word that is used, the Greek word, and I'll probably butcher it here, but merimineo. It's the same word that gets translated worry and anxious all throughout the New Testament. Paul uses this word as the word anxious, and it's really the same Greek word in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. We'll talk about that a little bit later here, but, um, but we, we tend to kind of think like level our worries and anxieties a little bit. We say, well, I don't, I don't really struggle with anxiety. I'm just a little bit of a worrier, or I'm a planner. I'm a planner, you know? I'm just kind of a person who likes to be in control of things, right? So, but it's not a problem. I have it. I got it. I got it handled. Well, Jesus doesn't really make any distinctions. The Bible doesn't really make any distinctions. That, that it's all in the same category here. But there is a difference. There's a difference between unbiblical worrying that Jesus is talking about here and, and having a healthy concern or care. Like, Jesus isn't suggesting that we live our lives as, as if nothing matters. Akuna matata, right? Nothing matters. Just go with the flow. No, there's, there's a lot of wisdom and good reasons that, that we should be concerned at times or express care at times. You know, obviously there's wisdom in planning for the future or studying for a test. Imagine how it would be going right now if I didn't spend any time preparing or, you know, a sermon. I was just up here winging it. Probably wouldn't be going as good as it is right now. Or, well, maybe that's up for debate. Maybe... <laughs> It definitely wouldn't be going as well. I think we could agree with that. Right? There's, there's wisdom in, in, in planning and concerning to some level. But there's a difference between what Jesus is talking about here. He says, he says the birds, like we know that birds legitimately do spend most of their time looking for food. That's what they do. That, that matters to them. For the wildflowers, it matters that if they get enough sunlight and grow and bloom and pollinate and reproduce, it matters. The problem is when our concern runs out of control, when it consumes our thoughts, when other things in our lives become neglected because of that, when ulcers and insomnia start to experience, we experience those things, that's when we've moved from being a planner to unhealthy worry that God does not intend for you and I to go through and carry. And Jesus is so smart. He's so smart. He says the most profound things at times and uses some of the most simple illustrations to teach us. 
He says, look at these birds and these flowers, for example. Really simple things. And it's important to remember here that the context of what Jesus, where Jesus is telling this story. That Jesus, giving this Sermon on the Mount, he's not sitting in some building or some tent. He's not in a synagogue. He's out in nature. He's sitting on the side of a mountain. And so when we read this part of the story, this isn't in the Bible, but I, I kind of make the assumption, I wonder, I think when he says, look at the birds, he means, look at those birds right there. Look at those flowers down there. And if God cares about those things, which the world would say are pretty low on the totem pole, oh, how much more does he care about you, his greatest creation? Oh, how much more will he take care of your cares and your worries? Verse 27, Jesus asks us this question. He says this, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Basically, Jesus is saying, what is the benefit of your worrying? Have you thought about that? Is it adding anything into your life? The word here for, it talks about single hour is actually the word cubit. Can any one of you by worrying add a single cubit to your height or to your life? It's a measurement term. It's about 80, 18 inches long. And it, but basically it's meaning, what Jesus is saying here is like, can you, does your life by worrying, is it going to increase at all? Is it going to, are you going to be able to get more out of life by worrying? He says, no. No, it isn't going to do that at all. In fact, we know from all the negative health effects, it may decrease your life. It, 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 and at minimum, it's going to waste much of your life. I wonder if in heaven, God will be generous and kind and, and gentle enough to show me a pie chart of how much of my life I've wasted <laughs> worrying. Even if I stopped and never worried ever again in my life, I think it would be so su surprisingly high. Such, a, such a, a sobering thing to think about. So, so just stop worrying, right? Just stop it. Stop it. Stop doing it. Why are you doing that? Jesus says tomorrow has enough troubles of its own, so just stop it, right? Oh, if I could, I would. Oh, if I could, I would, right? Like, if it was that easy... I would have done it a long time ago. Unfortunately, I've heard talks before about this topic, and it kind of, this is where it kind of ends. You know, just, just stop it. Just don't do it. It's not good for you. You know, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think that's what Jesus, and, and psychologically, and, and, you know, in our brains, the physiological part of our brains you know, that release chemicals that cause panic attacks. You know, when you're, the hypothalamus, involuntary part of your brain that you cannot, like, tell to do anything, release, it tells your adrenal glands to release cortisol, the fight-or-flight hormone that, that increases, you know, uh, in extreme circumstances. For some people, their brains do that way more than is necessary. And to just say, well, stop it. Don't do it anymore. Well, that doesn't help at all. You struggle with depression, anxiety, and, and, and you just, you know, the part of your brain that makes serotonin. Oh, you just make more of it. Yeah, just make more. Yeah, that doesn't help. But what, I, but what I do believe is possible is that Jesus can meet us and is actually capable of transforming our bodies. And at times, I think he can even transform our brains. 
that over time that's actually possible, that the creator of the universe who made your brain, that it's possible that he could change it. I feel like that has happened for me in life. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying stop seeing your doctor. I'm not saying stop seeing your counselor. Those things are super valuable and super important. You know, if, you're work, if you struggle with these things and you take medication for that, like I'm not saying just, just give it up. No, but would you be open to the idea that maybe Jesus would want to transform you as well? That maybe Jesus would want to come into those spaces of anxiety and worry? And I think here's a couple, couple practical things that I think we can do that Jesus shows us in this text and we see throughout the Bible. And the first thing is that Jesus invites us here to be aware of, of what I'm going to call our traps, our quicksand traps, okay? And I'll explain what I mean by that. that. That we need to name and identify the areas in our life that we tend to get stuck in, that cause us anxiety, that cause us worry, that pull us under. For most people, depending on the season of life or your situation, you know, you probably tend to worry or step into the same few traps over and over again. You know, for some of you, it might be your career. It might be your health. It might be the health of someone you love. It might be your kids or school or finances or world events. Jesus says, see those birds? They're tempted to, they might be tempted to worry about food, but they're not going to be tempted to worry about everything. They're not going to be tempted to, to worry about world events and what's going on in politics. They're not going to be tempted. The flowers, they don't have brains, but... <laughs> but they might be tempted to worry about the weather, but they're not going to be worried about their 401ks, right? Those things don't matter to them. But the things that matter to you, the things that keep you up late at night, what are those things? Those can be traps that we can just suffocate in. The parent with the struggling student might be tempted to suffocate in, the, in a kid anxiety trap. But if they're in decent health, they might not spend a lot of time thinking about that. The 60-year-old who just got the news that they've developed diabetes might be worried about, you know, their health and be falling into the health anxiety trap, but they're probably not worried about, you know, how they did in cursive writing in third grade, right? Unless they're me. We tend to fall into certain areas and it's funny it's like we know I think we know these things but we, we in the moment we don't realize that's what we're doing we don't realize that we've stepped into that trap again in the moment we need to be able to identify them and so depending on your circumstances and I know for many of you that there's lots of different things that that you worry about but I wonder what are your traps so I want to just take a few seconds here. I want to, I just, you, you may be aware of them already. You may not even be totally consciously aware of them. But just take a few seconds here to think about what are your traps. And, let, and you know, it may help to close your eyes. It may help to write it down in your notes. But let's just, just in silence for a few seconds. And it's a little different. Let's just go ahead and do that. We got to keep this talk light, right? This is too serious. That's good. That's good. Hey, here's the truth is most of you probably already knew. But sometimes I think we do need to spend time in asking God, what do we, 
what are my traps, Lord? What are my traps that I tend to fall into over and over again? And I was thinking about this idea of quicksand and, and researching a little bit. Do you know if you, if you step into quicksand, most quicksand is about knee deep. That's it. What gets people in trouble is they try to claw their way out of it and scramble their way out of it. But the reality is, is that you can actually float on quicksand. If you're calm and you lay in it, you lay on your back, you will actually, like, the density of your body is less than the density of the quicksand, you will float to the top. It's our excessive trying, I gotta solve this problem right now and I have to think of every what if and I have to solve my kid's problem and I need to grasp and I need to struggle and I need to figure this out. That movement in our brain is what pulls us under and suffocates us. I was, I was talking to a, a guy in our church last night about this and he came up to me afterwards and he said, I've actually been in quicksand and what you said was actually really true. I was doing a job site and I uh, we had poured a bunch of sand into this whole huge area and I had to test the density and it had flooded a bunch of water. I had to go check and see if it was okay and I took one step and whoosh, my leg went up to here. And I was pulling, trying to get that leg out and by pulling I put weight, all my weight onto this leg and whoosh, this leg went under and I stood there and I thought, oh no, everybody is left for the day. I'm gonna be here all night. I better get time and a half for this. He's, that's what he said. And he said, and I thought about it. And, I, I, and my, he said, my engineering brain kicked in. And I thought, okay, wait. If I lay back in this on my back, I will float out. I will float. My legs will come out. And, I, and that's what he did. He said, I laid back into the quicksand. And I basically kind of backstroked it, you know, whatever, out of and got my way out of it. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The way that we get out of our worries is not to look down on our worries and try to pull ourselves up, but we take our eyes off of the quicksand and we put our eyes up to heaven. We lean back and we, we, we look not at the size of our worries, but we look at the size of our God. We look at the size of our God. That's what Jesus tells us to do here. He doesn't say don't worry and then ends. He says in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It means what we choose. We choose to look at the size of our God and not the size of our worry. We choose to take our eyes off our need, off our problem, and we gaze on God. We reflect on who he is and what he might want to do in the situation. And we, remi- he, we, we remind ourselves that God cares about our kids. He cares about our health. He cares about our worries, that, that he's in those spaces with us. We focus our eyes on kingdom things. We focus our eyes on kingdom things, on kingdom treasures like we talked about last weekend. We trust in God with those earthly things. We take our eyes off our smaller size worry, which feels so big, but in, compared to God, it's so much smaller. And we put our eyes on a bigger, broader, longer, wider perspective. And we say to God, God, right now, all I can think about is this worry. But help me see the the bigger kingdom picture here. What are you doing? What are you doing? Help me to look at you. Help me to focus on you. Help me prioritize and put you first. And as a person who struggles with anxiety, this does not come natural to me at all. 
that I have to identify. Sometimes my wife has to say, hey, you need to just calm down. This is what you're so anxious about this right now. Oh, oh, you're right, I am. And I need to turn to God and choose to put my eyes on him. How do we do that? What do we do next? Well, Paul, Paul in his letter to the Philippians tells us uh, and adds to this how we can do this. And he talks about basically turning from our worrisome monologuing and turning that into thankful dialoguing with God. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is a great, great verse. If you're a person like me or you know something like, this is a great verse to memorize. This has helped me many times. Verse uh, Philippians 4, 6, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything. That word anxious is the same word Jesus used in Matthew for worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God by prayer with thanksgiving, to take that spiraling worrying in your mind, that monologuing, going over and over and over again, talking to yourself, and instead turn it into dialogue with God. And to do it with a thankfulness, with a thankfulness, to stop flailing around in the quicksand, trying to get yourself out, to look up at God and to speak to him, to dialogue with him, to cry out to him. And as you do that, to find ways to express your thankfulness. Thank you, God, that you have not left me, that you're right here beside me in this trap. Thank you, God. Help me to remember the ways you've got me out of this in the past. Oh, how many worries, God, have you prevented from ever coming true that I will never know about? And the few that did come true, oh, how you were near to me, even if I wasn't aware of it at the time. God, you know I'm worried about paying the mortgage this month. You know, I just don't know. But last month, you, you gave, there was that one last client, that one last job. Help, help me to remember that you will, help, you will care for this need again. God, you know I'm worried about my marriage, my spouse. I just don't know how much longer I can take it. But you have been my encourager, my comforter during this season. Help me to see the bigger kingdom picture here. Help me to see the long term. Help me to see what you're doing in their life. Thank you for the parts of them that in our relationship that are good, even if there are, it doesn't feel like there's a lot right now. Help me to trust you with our marriage. We need to turn from worrisome monologue and turn it into prayerful dialogue. Because when we do that, what Paul says will happen is that we'll trade our worries for peace. That's what he says. He says in verse seven, we'll trade our worries for peace. Verse seven, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the peace of God. Interesting, this is the only phrase in the English, in English Bibles where the peace of God is actually specifically mentioned at all, that exact phrase. The peace of Christ is in, found in Colossians and peace is a theme all throughout the Bible. Don't get me wrong. But this phrase, peace of God, only spot it's found is in Philippians 4, 7. That we can experience the peace of God, the supernatural peace. He doesn't promise to make our circumstances change. That would be naive to think that we could tell God what to do. 
You know, he doesn't promise to give us exactly what we hope for when we hope for it. That would be foolish to think that we're wise enough to know what's best for us. Instead, what he does promise is he promises us peace, a supernatural peace that protects and guards us and is beyond our understanding. About two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, my oldest daughter, Ava, who's 11, I asked her if I could share this story. She said I could. She had a panic attack at school. She's never had one before. She never experienced that before. She didn't even know that's what it was. It's been a big change. She's in middle school now this year. It's been a lot of pressure, a lot of changes for her. And she went to take a math test. And she said, all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't catch my breath and I was shaking. My whole body was shaking. And I felt like I, I knew what to do up here, but it's like my, I couldn't do it with my hand. It's like my hand and my brain weren't communicating and I just froze. And afterwards, I, we, she was telling me about this. She was so upset, just crying, telling me and Sarah this, and just crying. And I thought, I think you had a mild panic attack. And so we sat down on her bedside and talked about this. And we pulled out her Bible and read Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And we walked through it. We walked through, how do we, how do we, when we experience anxiety, when we experience worries, what do we do with that? Well, we, we, we pray. We pray to God. And we trade. We trade our worries and, and with anticipation that he'll give us peace. That he'll give us peace and so the next day, she told, me, told us later that she, she was praying all day and she listened to the worship song, He is Faithful. And she went to that test and she didn't panic. And she only missed one problem on the whole test. And as proud as I am of her for doing well on the test, I'm infinitely more proud of her that she is learning to go to God her Father and trade her worries for peace. Why is it that we, 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 we go to God and we can trust Him and put our faith in Him when it comes to our salvation, but yet we think we have to do all the rest of the things of life on our own? Why do we do that? That's not what God intended. That's not what, that's not what the Christian life is meant to be about. We go to God for our salvation. Yes, that's true. But then we keep going back to him. We keep trading our worries and all of the stuff of life that we need him to fix and fill up. We keep doing that over and over and over again. That is what the Christian life is about. That's what it's about. The, 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 there's a thin line between worry and peace. It's very thin. And this is basically what it is. It's the answer to this question. Who are you putting your trust in? Who are you putting your trust in? Are you putting your trust in God? We, we say that up here. But in our day-to-day life, are we putting our trust in God? Are we putting our trust in ourselves? Are we putting our trust in ourselves? I'll end with this story. A couple weeks ago, 
my family also went on a little getaway. We went on a little extended family trip to Maryland, and we went, uh, one of the days we went to this adventure resort kind of park, and they had a high ropes course and some cool things to do. And one of the things they had that I'd never really seen before was they had um, this roller coaster that was kind of like an individualized roller coaster. Like it's just one cart. You know, most roller coasters have a bunch of carts and like 20 people get in. This was like a one person roller coaster. And it had one, one seat and then it had a tiny little jump seat that you could like, a kid could kind of sit between your knees. And I thought, this looks awesome. I've never done anything like this before. Kids wanted to do it. So, so I should have known by the waiver they made me sign that this wasn't gonna be <laughs> some little baby roller coaster. But the other thing that was odd about it is you couldn't really see most of the, the roller coaster because uh, it was kind of on this, going up and down this hill, this mountain really, with trees all around it. You kind of could just kind of see the start and a couple turns, but you couldn't see it all. And usually you can tell the intensity of a roller coaster by the first hill, right? If the first hill's really big, really, you're going up really high, you know you're going to need to hold on to your lunch. If it's not, if it's kind of a little one, then hey, you're good. We couldn't see the first hill. Couldn't see it from where I was at. So we strap in, and my youngest, Aaron, he's six, he's sitting in between my legs, and, and, and we go up, and we make this turn, all of a sudden we see this hill, and I think, oh my Lord. <laughs> the anxiety starts kicking in. This is much bigger than I thought. And I found out later, it's, it was 350 feet up the hill. And I think like at Cedar Point, like Millennium Force or whatever, is the first hill is 310 feet. Now, this roller coaster isn't nearly as intense. It's not nearly as big of a first drop. So you're not going as fast. But I just saw the mammoth size of this hill and I thought, oh no. And mostly what I was worried about though was my son. He'd never really been on a roller coaster before. <laughs> and, I, and we're strapped in and there's no getting off. Like, this is going to be a long few minutes, you know? And I look at his face, not an ounce of worry on it. Total peace. And why was that? Well, maybe he was a little ignorant about what was happening. <laughs> but, but I also think, I also think he knew that he was leaning back on his dad. He knew that he had his dad with him. And that his dad was going to take care of it. And that he could just enjoy the ride. That he could just enjoy the excitement of the roller coaster. And we did. We went down. And there were hills and turns and twists. And there were times I was like, oh my gosh. But he had a blast. He loved it. Because he could lean back into his father. And know that his dad was going to take care of everything. And the same is true for us in life. The same is true for us in life that we so often forget that our Father is so near to us, that he's with us. And when we can start to, 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 to lean into that and realize that we can give those worries, we can look at our dad, say, Dad, should I be worried here? I got this son, I got this daughter. That we can trade our worries for peace. And I think, I think we can begin to learn that some of the things that we are worried about are really disguised opportunities for us to learn how to lean into him. And not just, to, and, and, and experience peace and joy and excitement and actually enjoy this life. And actually have fun in this life. And I know for all of us who struggle with occasional worry, for those of, for those of you who struggle with severe worry and anxiety, we may never be completely free 
uh, of that, this side of heaven. There may be temptations for that and struggles with that, but I personally have seen much freedom from my anxiety in life. And I believe that as we grow to be quicker to identify our traps, to look for God, seek his kingdom, to be quick to pray and not worrisome monologue in our mind all the time, but turn to him in prayer, that we can trade our worries for peace. And that our late nights can lessen. And that our panic attacks can shorten. And that tomorrow's troubles can wait for tomorrow. And that there is more freedom, way more freedom available to us than many of us ever dare to dream possible. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Every, every, uh, every service we like to end with a time of ministry time where we just take an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. And so we're just going to take a second here and just wait on the Lord. So we're just going to quiet ourselves and just take a few seconds here to just wait on him. So if it helps to close your eyes, to not be distracted, you can do that. If you want to open your hands, you can do that as well. But let's just wait on him for a second. Just come, Holy Spirit. Would you meet with us right now? I want to invite a few of you forward here. I think God is doing some things. And I think the obvious thing is, hey, I talked about basically one thing the whole time today. And for some of you, that is your daily struggle. If you're somebody who struggles with an anxiety disorder or has high anxiety tendencies, uh, I would encourage you to come forward and get prayer today. And I know what I just asked you to do is going to cause anxiety. (laughs) But you're not coming forward like... uh, just because I'm asking you to, you're, I'm inviting you to come forward because, because I think Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to come near to you. He wants to encourage you and, 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 and pour into you. Some of you have very specific things that have come up in your life that, that you worry about. Maybe you don't have an anxiety disorder, but you have things that are on your mind a lot. Some, an event has happened, something is going on with your kids or health or life or whatever it is. And you need to bring that before God. You, you walked in today with a heavy backpack full of rocks and you're not meant to carry that. So I want to encourage you to come forward. Somebody's just going to pray for you that God would, would, would take that burden off of you. Some of you, I think there's, I think some, 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 somebody in here your anxiety is so high that you are contemplating suicide. And if that's you, that is not, God has a different plan for you. And I would encourage you to come forward today if that's you. If you're sick, we always love to pray for the sick. Gosh, does sickness cause anxiety? Wouldn't it be great to see God move and, and do a healing work in you? 
would encourage you if you're sick. Last night, I got a feeling in my right leg, my, especially in my knee area. If any of you struggle with leg issues or knee issues, I would encourage you to come forward and get prayer for that. God might want to meet you in that. Um, but yeah, I know, hey, hey, I have anxiety. Come forward for anxiety. That, that's not helpful. Like That's just causing more anxiety. But I do believe that in this, this is a safe space. Would you be bold? Maybe it's the act of stepping out that God wants to meet you. So Sarah's going to lead us in a great worship song. Uh, if any of that applies to you, come forward and we'll pray for each other and then I'll come back up and dismiss us. So.